to the Boba News Podcast. I'm Kim Bremer, and I'll be your host today as we get an update on where we're currently with regard to milk prices and where we're headed as we get into 2022. Joining me on the podcast is Mike North, who is a principal with Ever Ag. Mike began his work in the futures industry in 1995 and founded Commodity Risk Management Group in 2014. In 2019, Commodity Risk Management Group merged with Rice Dairy to form Ever Ag, a company that has recently merged with Dairy.com. The growing company provides a suite of marketing and risk management services for producer, processor, and end-user clients across its brokerage, insurance, advisory, and technology platforms, while producing high-level, unbiased research and education to help those clients make better decisions. Welcome to the podcast today, Mike. Always good to be here, Kim. Well, to start with, can you give us an update on where we're at with milk prices today? You bet. And, you know, since it is Christmas, basically, uh, let's just say that it's been uh, quite a gift. Uh, these milk prices have risen to some pretty astounding levels. As you look forward from now out through the end of 2022, the class three market has $19 prices on every month in the 22 calendar. And on class four, every month is above $20 in 2022. So really, really sizable prices. And and let's put this in perspective. When we talk about $20 class four milk prices, we've only seen this uh, three times in history. If you go back to 2007, we had six months above $20. And then in 2011, we were above $20 for five months. And then the ever so famous 2014 had us above uh, that that $20 threshold uh, for 13 months. So we started in 2013 and carried over into 2014. So for us to be above $20 is quite an accomplishment. And I think as you look at history, you know, you, you also see how rare it is. So, you know, we, we see this as a gift. We've got some really nice prices out there in, in both class three and class four. Um, and it's, uh, it's a great way to close a year. It's a great way to start a year. And uh, I'm sure we'll dive into more about, uh, you know, what that price action looks like, but we're starting out on the right foot. That's for sure. It is nice to think about it in that way. Now, we saw cow numbers and production escalate last spring, but as in recent months, we've seen that the growth in the national herd has slowed down, as has year-over-year production. So can you talk a little bit about the cause and how long do you expect this to continue Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, if you take a look at what the dynamics of our market were last spring, you know, we ultimately were walking our way through a, you know, a a winter season that had, um, you know, a, a lot of cheap feed already in the bunker. We had a rising milk price. And in those scenarios, producers are going to make more milk. And so cow numbers grew. As we came into the summer and we moved especially towards harvest of, you know, uh, silage and, you know, a lot of that corn and, and, and other products that, that uh, we start laying back into the bunker, you know, reality is, is that the price had moved substantially. It was up 60% in many cases. That changes the dynamic a little bit. And with prices tapering off simultaneously, we saw cow numbers begin to fall. So as you go back into summer, July, August, September, October, um, you know, that ultimately saw cow numbers go down. 
in the same way. So as we talk about, you know, where we're at in that trend, uh, you know, on the, at, the, at the moment that we're taping this, we're ahead of the milk production report for the month of November. We believe that you're going to start to see cow numbers flatten off and you're going to begin to see with the current price environment that we have out in 2022, as I just pointed out, you're going to begin to see cow numbers start to move back higher and respond to these higher milk prices. Now, the thing that will be interesting to observe, and we've watched this ever since COVID uh, began, is what kind of effect the quotas, you know, whether they're, you know, in place and enforced or loosely intact and not enforced, what kind of impact will the quotas have on any kind of a rebound? That'll be an interesting thing to observe. But the prices are certainly there, just like we saw this last spring, to incentivize more cows to come back into the equation. And now that we've got the feed costs pretty well factored in, and you know, guys have you know written a lot of those checks. Bottom line is, is we won't see a lot of interruption in those decisions. We're we're going to be in a place now where we can start to rebuild the herd. Well, and along those lines, you alluded to feed costs. Uh, where do we sit with feed costs today, labor costs, and their effect on the dairy margins across the country? Do you expect any relief over the next few months? I really don't, Kim. And and a lot of that has to do with the fact that we're still living in a world with steep uncertainty. And it's not just in the dairy market. We are not alone in this quest for you know certainty and a known future. Everybody's struggling right now. And so when we talk about the feed costs specifically, there's a few things we have to really nail down over the course of the next few months to get to a greater level of certainty. Number one, we have to work our way through the South American crop. You know, we, we got a little bit tight in inventory, and I'm saying this domestically and globally as it relates to corn. Um, and we're going to need to see how this first crop in South America, which is largely soybeans, but there's still some corn uh, in the mix, um, especially in Argentina, where that, that uh, uh, weighting of, of, of acreage is a little bit heavier towards corn. We're gonna, have to, we're gonna have to see what that looks like, first crop. And then as we get through the harvest, or at least into it, we're gonna wanna see what kind of a start the second crop has. And that, that second crop of corn for Brazil is key because that is their exportable supply. So whatever they produce in that crop is largely more eligible to be sold and shipped out of country. So what kind of weather will they be dealing with? There's already some hints of dryness there that potentially threaten that second crop and already are starting to put stress on the first, um, you know, that's going to be a watch point. And then secondly, and this is one that I'm sure, you know, everyone has heard before, but it's, it's real and it'll live with us until we put seed in the ground. But what kind of price and more importantly, what kind of availability will we have for crop inputs, you know, potassium, phosphorus, nitrogen. You know, in those three categories, are we going to get everything we need? You know, when you look at the P and K side of the discussion, things are a little bit looser in that regard. Nitrogen is the biggest question of all of them right now. And when you're raising corn, you know, that's the big one. Uh, so we've got to solve that problem. And, you know, as I've told others, when you take a look at nitrogen in this country, we import, depending on whose numbers you, you read or believe, somewhere in that neighborhood of about 30 to 50% of our nitrogen needs. 
which you know ultimately means the other 50 to 70% is produced here in the United States. And I think as you take a look at most crop farmers today, they're becoming a little bit less stuck in the pathways of you know, how they've always done it in terms of nitrogen application. And they're really pretty open to putting anything they can put into the ground to source nitrogen and feed that crop. And so the incentive with prices where they're at in terms of nitrogen is there in a big, big way for our domestic producers to produce a whole lot of nitrogen. And their world got a lot better. You know, if you go back the last couple of months, we've watched as natural gas fell from five and a half bucks down to three and a half bucks, which is still certainly no deal. But in that same period of time, we've watched nitrogen go up to 14, 15, 1600 bucks, you know, in some, in some categories. So they have a falling cost of production and a rising opportunity in their own market space. So the incentive is there to make a lot of nitrogen. We believe the market is going to solve part of this problem as we head towards uh, spring and that availability will be largely intact. Um, but the market's not going to rest easy on that for a while. So when we talk feed costs, we've got a couple major headwinds that need to be solved and will not allow for any short-term relief on prices. Could we drop a little bit here and there? Sure. Uh, we expect a little bit more of a sideways uh, range-bound type of market without any you know, new information stepping in, um, but at more elevated levels. So not a lot of relief there. And I would say, you know, since you asked about labor, we aren't going to change that story overnight either. Uh, labor is tight across every front. Every business owner I talk to is looking to hire people and they can't find them. They're having to pay up to either get them or keep them. And that is not going to change the landscape for, you know, the, for the dairymen across this country in terms of the people they're hiring either. So both labor and feed are going to present a greater cost going forward and continue to squeeze the margins as they have in the past several months. Well, in keeping on the theme of challenges versus opportunities, uh, financial markets obviously have a lot of uncertainty. We've got inflation, interest rates, uh, supply chain issues, new COVID variants, uh, lots of factors that are affecting all the prices. But what should producers be doing to offset some of this variation? Where do you start? Well, you know, it's a little bit tougher in the dairy industry, right? We're not producing widgets. So you can't turn the cows on and off. You, you know, you can't do two-week shutdowns for maintenance. You can't do, you know, some of these other things that other industries can. Cows have to be milked 365 days a year. And so you can't really mess with that formula too much. Um, but what I would say is this, you know, allow the price that we see on the board to be your, 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 your leading directive. You know, if we start seeing the forward curve for price, in other words, the price we look at today and then all of the futures prices that are offered beyond that point, if we see that forward curve starting to collapse in the back end, then that means that the market is already seeing enough production to ultimately satisfy demand. So, you know, in that kind of an environment, we wouldn't want to ramp up production going forward into that kind of a marketplace. Now, conversely, if the price holds flat and you know we're seeing this, this trend of strong prices, 
then continue to, you know, manage your herd with, you know, the feeding program that you're on, the culling program that you're on, the breeding program that you're on, um, and, you know, continue down that path. You know, that's the, the biggest struggle we have in the dairy industry is not only do cows need to be milked every day, but you can't get away from the gestation cycle either. You know, there's just certain things that are outside of your control and you don't want to, you know, tweak too many things here. But, you know, as we talk about price, I would let milk price be your directive. And right now the milk price is certainly saying, hey, if you can make money here, we'll take all the milk you can give us. I mentioned the quota earlier, that might be the hindering factor for several that are, you know, under foot of a uh, quota in their particular market or with their buyer. But end of day, the market is screaming for milk right now. It's saying, give me all that you can. And I think, you know, as, as you take a look at this, that price becomes our opportunity to check ourselves with our buyer. You know, we talk a lot on the farm about cost of production. But if you look at this country's milk pricing program, it has nothing to do with cost of production. Yes, if milk gets tight and processors are forced to pay up, they can, you know, raise their prices on the back end. But oftentimes the leading indicator is what the consumer is willing to pay for a product and how much of that product moves. Because if you recall, in this country, we start with product value, work that back through uh, the federal order system to a component value, which then walks us back into a class value for, for milk price. And so, you know, if we start seeing changes in those prices, that's an indication to us that our consumer has reached their peak. They're not going to push to buy our product at exponentially higher prices. They're just not going to. And so we need to keep in mind that if we are profitable under these elevated cost of productions that we're staring at looking forward in time, and we see that the consumer, or at least the future's price and its perception of what the consumer might pay in the future, if, if we see that we have some margins in there, we need to be very defensive of that because as we were reminded in 2009, you know, after coming off of a fantastic 2007 and 2008, where we had strong demand, but then also rising cost of production models, it doesn't take long for that demand to go away and still leave us with elevated cost of production. We need to be very defensive here with this particular market and make sure that, uh, you know, we don't uh, um, get caught in, in any future margin squeezes. So what can we do as producers to help sustain these prices? Well, you know, certainly there's a lot of different tools available these days. And that's, you know, obviously a, the, the place that we spend our time in as a company. Um, but we really like using option-like strategies around these markets. Because I think if everyone's being honest with ourselves, you know, we see this volatility, we see the cost of production, we talk about inflation. We look at some of these, you know, outside forces. I think we all want to be a little bit optimistic about price, and that's fine. There's nothing wrong with being a bit optimistic, even at these levels. But we also need to be very defensive because as we've watched in the past, and I, I pointed out those time durations that we've spent above $20 in the class four, you know, for, for a reason. They, they, they don't last forever. And so, you know, we like option strategies, and that can be in the form of dairy revenue protection, right? DRP is, is, a, is a product that, that we use a lot. LGM is another one that we use. Put options at the exchange 
or another, and then put strategies that are available maybe through a Ford program with your buyer. You know, these type of things give you coverage against falling markets while at the same time still giving you room to be optimistic and eligible to experience higher prices. So all the way around, we're big advocates in, in, this, in this market for flexibility. Um, that's not to say a guy couldn't get aggressive and start forward contracting. Um, there too, if a guy wants to lock these prices in, we still suggest coming in on the backside of that decision and managing that with some form of a call strategy. Again, giving that top side opportunity another look and leaving that open. Because let's face it, the last thing we want to do in times like this with elevated cost of productions is throw away you know, chances at more elevated profitability. Um, we've got to you know, try to make as much as we can as dairymen in this type of market. And we should touch a little bit on, we've seen this backlog of containers at U.S. ports over the past several months. We get reports that it's getting better, and then it's really not getting better. And <laughs> <laughs> how is that affecting yeah. our own supply chain and our export market? You know, I, I saw this really funny meme. It wasn't but uh, about three weeks ago, and it said, uh, people lining up uh, for early Black Friday shopping. And it showed a bunch of people standing on the uh, Californian beaches staring out at a container ship, getting ready to swim across and, and, and get on the boat, right? I mean, it's everywhere, right? Supply chain disruption is, you know, just absolutely everywhere. And, you know, when you look at, you know, Longport and LA and the amount of, uh, in Oakland and the amount of, uh, you know, material that comes through those ports, you know, about 30 to 40% of the goods that, that this country consumes comes through that port amazingly. And right now we've got about 70 ships waiting to unload. Now that's better than the hundred that were there a few weeks ago, but um, way off of, you know, what was always the norm where if you had a ship tied out there, uh, you know, that was a big deal. So um, lots of backlogs. I don't think there's a manufacturer of anything that's not missing something in their, you know, assembly or uh, their, their line processes everybody's, you know, disrupted in some capacity. And whether you're on the, 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 the manufacturer side of that, or you're waiting uh, to receive something from a manufacturer who's constrained by that, we're all dealing with that. Um, you know, the good news for us on the dairy side is that we have two very strong trading partners that don't require boats, Mexico and Canada. Canada has been an absolutely strong partner for us especially on the butterfat side of things. They have been importing record amounts of butterfat from us. So that has helped kind of pivot that story of old where we were always a net importer of butter and has helped push us across the line to be a net exporter of butter. So, you know, continue to be strong there. And then Mexico, in the same way, has been a big partner for us on the powders. They've been buying a fair amount of cheese. Um, that's gone very, very well for us. Um, and then as we get the opportunity, we still will load containers and move them out. And when you talk about exports this year, because of what we were able to do with Canada and Mexico, together with even our limited capacity to ship things out of the ports, we're having a record year. You know, it's, it's amazing to think about the possibilities that we could, you know, stand to, to uh, touch if we would just clean up our port system and get things back on track. 
um, it could be a great year for us next year by way of exports. Again, provided since we've seen so much price elevation over the course of the last several months, provided that we're still at a price point where um, the customers on the other end of that boat ride are still happy paying. So um, that's the, the market force along with that, but certainly a lot of supply disruption uh, in this space. Um, but thankfully we have some North American partners who have kind of helped bail us out a little bit. So as we wrap up here today, Mike, uh, let's talk a little bit about your crystal ball. Looking at 2022, is there anything producers should be doing from a risk management perspective? What what should we be doing to get ready as we close out 2021? And what should we be doing looking forward? Yeah, I would I would go back to some of my comments uh, from a moment ago. I, I think it's okay to be optimistic. I, I, I truly believe there's room for optimism as we enter 2022. But we are only one moment away from an announcement that could unwind the whole thing. So you have to be playing defense in here. You can be optimistic, but you should be cautiously optimistic. Case in point, go back to the Friday after Thanksgiving. Suddenly, we have this new Omicron variant that's discovered, announced, confirmed in a single country. Within days, it's in multiple countries. The stock market's crashing. People are panicking. Countries are shutting down. Travel restrictions are back in place. It took hours for us to see restaurant traffic fall off of a cliff. That stuff is bad. And granted, we've all gotten a little bit more comfortable with COVID and its impact in our world and how we, you know, adopt to that as, 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 you know, individuals or families or communities. But, you know, all the way around, markets are about confidence. And if you strip away the confidence that we have in the future, price goes right with it. So, you can't destroy the confidence in this market or that that becomes completely unraveled in a moment. So my advice for producers is stay on defense. Keep that top side open, smile and grin about the prices we have, hope for bigger and better ones, but don't get comfortable here. Because as I've pointed out, we don't stay here long. This is not about your cost of production, it's equally about what a consumer will pay. And if we destroy the consumer's confidence or we've maxed out on their price point, it's done. So defend it, defend these margins, protect what's available and make sure you don't get tipped upside down in a high cost of production environment because in a high cost of production environment, we've seen this before, when the market flips, it's quick to take people out of the business. It's not just, I'm going to lose a, a little bit of money for a month or two. No, people get forced out of the business. That, that's the kind of changes we see. You don't want to be on that list. So play some defense here. Well said. Thank you, Mike, for all of your advice today and your perspective and input. This wraps up our Bova News podcast for today. If you like what you heard, be sure to follow Bova News on your favorite podcast subscription service. And while you're at it, go ahead and follow us on the various social media platforms and subscribe to our YouTube page. Be sure to check out our website, bovanews.com, for more information and alerts to upcoming podcasts and webinars. This has been your host, Kim Bremer. And from everyone at Bova News, have a great day. 